Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. We're gearing up for the start of another Knicks season. Boy, that feels good to say. And we start off our player previews with Mitchell Robinson. Who else? My beloved Mitch. And I'm joined by another one of my favorites, DJ Zulo, to discuss Mitch's past, why he struggled against the Miami Heat, why he excelled against the Cleveland Cavaliers, his present, what his offseason was like, what skills he's allegedly developed, why all of a sudden he's worth multiple first-round picks, according to the New York Knicks, and his future on the team. Can they win a championship with Mitchell Robinson at center? All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for becoming an everyday, or if you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe on YouTube and hit that notifications bell so you never miss an episode. And be sure to do the same on your favorite audio platform of choice. And now, if you want to take our relationship to the next level, you can subscribe to our subtext where we can send you our latest thoughts on the New York Knicks, and you can send your thoughts back. We'll have a very fun back and forth. But who's talking to you? Gavin Shaw, your favorite Play-by-play broadcasters, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. I've been co-hosting uh, this podcast for, this is my fifth season now. Wow. Time has flied and I've had very few guests um, as smart and as good at their job as DJ Zulo. This is a nerds, nerds conversation, a nerd out on Mitchell Robinson. And just like every single time DJ comes on, um, I learned something new. I'm sure you will learn a couple things new about Mitch, his past, present, future on the New York Knicks. Let's get into it right now. All right, guys, as promised, wow, we are so close to basketball being back. And that means... We need to bring back on people a lot smarter than us. And we start off with DJ Zulo at DJ Ace NBA on Twitter. You can find a bunch of his work at Nick's Film School and on his YouTube channel, Craft NBA. DJ, welcome back. Long off season, buddy. You went to Europe. Some of the Knicks went overseas. It went better for you than for them. But how are yeah, you doing? Did. Exciting to talk uh, today. Mitchell Robinson with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. I love Mitch. Uh, I just love talking um, NBA. It's it's I it's been a while, a minute since I've been on uh, back on with you. So just to be talking hoops with someone like yourself is 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 just the best. And I just can't wait to the, for the season to start. I think we're all kind of starving for some new new things to, to kind of uh, talk about. FIBA kind of held us over a little bit, but it's just it's not the same. And as we'll talk about, the Knicks have not been the most exciting team in the offseason. Um, so just to have some games to talk about. Is it real? I'm really excited for that. It felt good sending out the bat signal to people like you, uh, Ariel Pacheco. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, all right, first day of school. We're, we're back in business. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Robinson, uh, yes, relatively uneventful offseason. I feel like I saw less videos of him crossing up teenagers this summer. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Might, might mean his confidence is down a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm going to choose to see it as a good thing. There was also, we talked about a little bit on yesterday's pod, but a, but a bit of a weird storyline that emerged. Vincent Goodwell writing a piece that was, primarily um, about DeAndre Aiden, I believe, on Yahoo, um, dropped a nugget that uh, the Knicks value Mitchell Robinson as worth multiple first-round picks. So I I don't really see a world where they look to trade him this year, and we're going to talk about as the pod goes on whether he's a long-term piece for the Knicks. I I weirdly think he's he's almost the player that dictates the Knicks' style of play more than anyone else. And in that sense, I I don't see that big of a stylistic shift happening this season unless – Joel Embiid comes available, but what did you make of that even being in there? Because I, I thought that was notable that someone like maybe he just asked someone in the Knicks organization, mm-hmm. what do you think Mitch is worth? But I, I just so couldn't see him getting traded that it, it struck me as strange. 
It was strange. And I think to, to me, the, the big takeaway is that the Knicks really value him. And you mentioned the style of play. I don't think, you know, there's a lot of obviously Brunson and Randall are the most indispensable players on the team. But you can't, as you were alluding to, you cannot run the sort of offense the Knicks are running without a dominant offensive rebounder. And you can't play several defenders in your starting lineup that are on the weak side in terms of their ability um, without having a guy like Mitchell Robinson cleaning things up. So he is absolutely indispensable to how they run not only their offense, but their defense too. So that was a big takeaway for me is that I don't think they're actively trading him, but you know, obviously if a guy like Joel Embiid is to, to come available or someone that we're not um, thinking about at the moment. Yeah. He, he has this sort of contract that is very enticing. I think for teams, he's, you know, in the prime of his career, I think he should have value. And the fact that Knicks are potentially putting two first round picks on, on him in terms of how they value him just speaks to how important he's become to this team. And it just, it's to me, it's, I always go back to where Mitch was as a rookie in that first summer league and a skinny kid blocking shots, but not knowing what to do, you know, where to be and to grow into a stable force and a guy that really makes a lot of what they do go is just a testament to to him as a as a person, but you know that marriage with Thibodeau, you know, Randall obviously has become a great player under Tibbs, but to me, the 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 Mitch Thibodeau marriage that relationship uh, has been great for both parties, and I'm excited to see where Mitch can go in the future. So I, I do think there's some low hanging fruit for him to sort of improve upon, which I think we'll talk about uh, as we move along here. Yeah, I, I think I think it's fascinating because you referenced what he was like as a rookie and. I think back to that era, as as, as we'll get into, um, kind of doe-eyed, and, and I, I glorify mm-hmm. the the hyper-athletic, swatting James Harden shot into the third row version of Mitch. But I, I think because he's never made, he's never developed any sort of offensive game really outside of mm-hmm. catching lobs. Maybe maybe a tiny bit on the margins, but but essentially he is who he is when he came into the league. I think people underrate his. Um, development defensively, but interestingly enough, his trainer um, put out a, I think it was actually an Instagram post of it. Someone got translated into a tweet about what mm-hmm. he was working on over the off season. He said off season is officially over. I can say that Mitch improved his free throw shooting. His athleticism is back from, um, oh, sorry. His athleticism is back from him buying into the pool workouts. Mitch has developed a few go-to moves with his back to the basket. Please coach Tibbs. This is notable. Give him mm-hmm. freedom on the offensive end. I'm not sure about you, DJ, but that part, um, that has me most excited about that is the athleticism. Because as I mm. mentioned before, I still look back on, on young Mitch and say, like, as as incredible of a finisher as he still is, and and and, and how the, some of the ridiculous defensive plays he makes. I don't think he gets enough credit for a short area burst on that end of the floor. He's certainly not the same vertical athlete he was when he came into the league. So the idea of some of that returning to his game with the added bulk is really enticing to me. Yeah, you know, I I really um obviously you, until we see it it's hard it, to me I'm going to just take that with a grain of salt is, sure. is how I'll yeah. put it. In terms of the athleticism, you know, I think there's certain players and he reminds me a little bit of Tyson Chandler, his proje- his kind of progression as a player where, you know, in Chicago in those early years with Chris Paul, he was this amazing athlete, run and jump, you know, as 99 percentile in terms of his athleticism, but then as he as his career moved on, got to the Mavericks then then the Knicks he wasn't blocking the sort of shots that he was uh, earlier in his career, but he was a much better defender. Um, and during those, uh, his Mavericks run, obviously with the Knicks, when he won defensive player of the year, um, because he was just so much more stable, he had put on enough strength to be able to hold up against some of the bigger um, offensive players. And I think Mitch is sort of in that range where I think the athleticism is still a positive, 
Um, agility wise, you know, maybe not so much, but in terms of the run and jump, in terms of his ability to, to guard out on the perimeter and uh, defend, uh, contest out on the three point line is still pretty strong. Um, to me, I'm giving up a little athleticism and, okay, and I'm okay with that if he's going to be as stable and strong as he is in the drop coverage. If he's, you know, really, he, he does a good job of utilizing the strength that he does have um, in, ter- in terms of the offensive rebounding. So I think that, you know, if his athleticism has come back a little bit, then that's great because it's only going to be an additive. But I, I just, I wonder at 26, going to be 26 years old with uh, some of the, you know, he's had not major injuries, but he's had enough to you know, wonder how, how much that's taken a little bit of a toll on the lower body. You know, I, I'm just, I, I, I hesitate to say that uh, I'm buying it until I see it, but it, to me, it would be a, you know, a, you know, it's, it's obviously gonna be a significant um, boost to him if he can, bring a little more athleticism, but I'm not necessarily banking on that to continue his progression as a player. All right. So DJ, not, not a believer in the magic of the pool workouts. We were noting. We'll that. see. Right. We'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh, but, but that, that is an area I wanted to dive deeper on because I, I thought um, I remember coming into last um, season. I, I was, when we talked about Mitch, I said, I was kind of framing it from the perspective of, man, how big of an impact can Jalen Brunson have on his game? You have a point guard that draws so much attention, is is the best guy, theoretically, and we found it in actuality. The Knicks have had at that position in, in a long, long time. Now now maybe we can start talking about going back like 50, 60 years at, at the time. Mm-hmm. We were talking about going back uh, 20 years to at least Stephon Marbury. And and it, how, how that, like having a true showrunner, is going to change Mitch's game. And I think maybe the most surprising thing was a guy who finished in the 99th percentile in terms of his finishing, per cleaning the glass, three of his four years in the league, and it's worth noting his third year, he, he was 79th percentile. So he has showed he could drop off before. He was 75th percentile um, on cleaning the glass in terms of his finishing ability. And, and to me, that said more about Brunson than it did about Mitch. And I'm, I'm curious, maybe, maybe you disagree on that. I, I thought it had a lot to do with, one, Brunson is, is obviously a shoot-first guard. And, and he, a lot of times, would get to the middle of the lane, maybe could have thrown that lob, but he, he was looking to pump fake you to oblivion, throw in two mm-hmm. pivots to, to really embarrass you, and then, then hit a ridiculous off-balance leaner four or five feet away from the basket. And I, I'm wondering if this year, maybe Brunson leaning into being a bit more of a high-volume pull-up three-point shooter, an area where he was exceptional in terms of his efficiency, but just didn't get up enough shots last year, could maybe open up more of a runway for Mitch, whether that's on pick and rolls, 30 feet away from the basket, or, or just from the general gravity that Brunson has, wh- whether that's for Mitch as a rebounder or a lob catcher. But I, I think I kind of always come back to the same thing with Mitch, and it's, it's that he's not surrounded by um, great passers. It always seems like RJ somehow is, is kind of the best one at finding mm-hmm. him. And, and then the other thing is if he ever expands his offensive game beyond just catching and dunking, which he tried to do in very small spurts last year, that can pretty dramatically affect his field goal percentage, which generally you're just looking at, all right, what percent of his dunks does he make? All right, guys, next on the Locked On Knicks podcast, a whole bunch more Mitchell Robinson to get into how he could potentially expand his offensive game and increase his versatility defensively. That athleticism might come into handy with both. But before I talk about that, I want to remind you that the weather is getting cooler, and that means it's time to stock your closet with winter clothes. With Ibotta, you can get cash back on winter coats, hats, gloves, scarves, and more for the entire family. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $100 per year. 
That can cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, or you could use your cash back to buy that flight you've been eyeing, that game you're dying to go to, that next game you've been dying to go to, or a fancy dinner you've been craving. Other apps, they give you points that don't ultimately amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift card. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. So download the Ibotta app and use code LOCK to start earning real cash back. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCK. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCK. Yeah, absolutely. So his to, to me, the biggest thing, and I ran the numbers earlier um, today, his uh, percentage on uh, rim attempts that were non-dunks, so basically layups, he was 42% as a field goal percentage, which is as bad as you can get as a center in terms of uh, efficiency. And in previous years, he's been up and I have the numbers here. He's been in the fifties before in terms of layups at the rim. Um, in 2021, he was actually 33%. So that was uh, a big drop there, but his rookie year, he was 57% in terms of layups at the rim, 54% his sophomore year, uh, 42% last year. And to me, that's the biggest drop off is tied there. And I, I looked at all of his misses and, so many of them, and this is something where Mitch is going to have to figure this out. Um, he'll generate an offensive rebound, and he'll have many times shooters galore around the perimeter, but he's trying to go up and finish that ball, and when he can't dunk it, and in a lot of times he's going through two and three guys because he's commanding so much attention as offensive rebounder, whereas his first couple of years, he, he gets an offensive rebound. He might have one guy to contest with. you know, Maybe it's an open layup or a dunk. Now he's got two and three guys sort of um, – trying to keep him off, off the offensive glass. And to me, he needs to do a better job of recognizing the difficulty of those shots, which are not going to be dunks, and get that ball out into the perimeter and try to gain a little bit more awareness in passing that ball out, which he did a little bit in the playoffs last year. But to me, that is an area where if the Knicks haven't, you know, I'm not sure if that's a trainer thing or if that's just a developmental thing within the organization. But to me, I would have had a, a running compilation of all the times he would get an offensive rebound and good for him to get it. But then he would have two and three guys wide open on the perimeter. And you see a guy like Kevin Looney do this all the time where he'll have shooters and he'll get that offensive rebound. And a lot of times he's spraying that ball out and then you're, you're, you're going to get an open shot out of that. So that's an area where if Mitch can clean up those and just remove some of those shots from his shot diet, I think that'll do it, you know, enough to get his efficiency back up a little bit. But just to wrap up the point, yeah, the Knicks don't have great lob throwers. RJ is really good at it when he's going to his left hand. He can sort of disguise layup and, and lob and he can get that ball up to Mitch and it's a play the Knicks are really good at RJ's fantastic at it but in terms of Brunson you know at, at this stage of his career I'm a little bit I'm skeptical that he can sort of add that uh, to his game a little bit and then and then beyond that it's like Josh Hart's decent at it quickly really doesn't have the ability to get downhill and generate that sort of like rim attack attention to to generate a lot of um lob attempts so he, he unfortunately is not blessed with a lot of teammates that can throw great law passes. So to boost his efficiency, he's going to have to do a little bit on, on his own to sort of uh, time it out to when he's going to go up for those uh, missed uh, uh, shots that he's going to get in that offensive rebound and when he's kicking that ball out, because I think there's a lot to be gained out of just passing that ball out a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. And I think, I think you could see last year that the coaches were emphasizing that to him. He, 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 I think not coincidentally because of the attention you mentioned, despite not being great spraying the ball, he finished with a career high in, in assist percentage, which was 4.4%, mm -hmm. which was still just 10th percentile amongst all centers in the NBA. So it was not a strength of his, um, but he, he looked for it a little bit more. And you see Jericho Sims is pretty good at that. Isaiah Hartenstein is, is decent at it. I, I almost think mm -hmm. he should be better for the kind of passer that he is, but 
man, it, it, the Knicks are leaving points on the table, which is, is an encouraging thing to hear in a way because the Knicks were still um, third or fourth in the NBA in offense last year. Had Again, statistically, I always have to caveat that, one of the better offenses in NBA history a year ago. So that could kind of be, to your point, low-hanging fruit for him to continue to improve on. Something that is maybe slightly higher-hanging fruit is, is the quote-unquote go-to moves that his mm. trainer referenced. And this was another thing we saw as the season went along last year, every few games or so Tom Thibodeau would, would let him open up a game with a post-up or open up the half with a post-up. And it was almost always a sunk play. And he would, and he would look decent enough doing the move. Like it's clear the strength he added made a big difference. And he was actually like, like just doing a little drop step. He was usually able to clear a guy out, get into pretty good position. I'm sure Tibbs planted around centers that, that would be, uh, softer targets, let's say. Like Christian Wood, a couple of times last year, sure. he would he would give a post up uh, opportunity too. Yep, that's the guy to do it against, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Like, yeah, Christian yeah. Wood is like have, like looking at the sideline, like what's what's going on? This guy, I yeah, this guy didn't shoot. Um, but anyways, um, and it would it would it would look okay. And and honestly, DJ, I don't know if you're like me. Maybe maybe I just irrationally love Mitch. I got a little excited every time that happened. Like, oh, come on. He's got to get one. And yeah, because he would get to the, he would get to the rim. Yeah, you're right. right. He would, one yeah. move and he's at the basket basically. Yeah. And it's what we, and it's, it's the thing that will take to our graves with Mitchell Robinson, right? The, the two times a year, like this is obviously far more advanced, but he'll, he'll grab a long rebound 30 feet away from the basket, throw like a little move on someone, two dribbles straight to the rim. Dunk, you're like, oh man, could he still be Anthony Davis? Are we sure he's still not Anthony Davis? Mm -hmm. We can be pretty sure at this point. He's not that. He's a long, long way from that, but is it possible that if if Tibbs gave him a little bit more leeway, that could be either a late shot clock or like occasionally, like when he's playing with a bench unit for some reason, which doesn't really happen, mm -hmm. um, a, an option for the New York Knicks? To me, the, the the biggest reason to do it is just just to throw him a bone and keep him engaged. For right. like Ten times a game, Julius Randle completely ignores him and and looks mm -hmm. him off wide open under the basket. But but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, I mean, it reminds me. I'm not. I don't know if you can recall, but like the early Pistons or the Larry Brown Pistons when they would give Ben Wallace the early touch yeah. in the game, okay. and it would you know it would result in like a really awkward fall away uh, jump shot. Maybe he gets two of those a game, maybe. But it was like clearly uh you know tipping their hat to the sort of work he's doing on the defensive end and to me you know all mitch and i know he complains every once in a while like two or three times a year he'll pop off on social media about it but generally he's doing a tough job and he's doing it really well and it's a grind and it's it's challenging and you don't i mean just think about it, if you were playing basketball and you were just your job was to sprint back and forth and and bang and get offensive rebounds and defend the the rim and not get any shots it wouldn't be much fun and to me it's still, a, it's still a game be a little fun a little right i know no, but no, no, it, no, but you're yeah. right you're right but no, in, the game, in the game you're not thinking about the check right you're thinking you're not like, you're not I, I you're just thinking, yeah. i want to have a little fun here and and i get it and i there is certainly as you, you know you're alluding to the mental and like the the personal side of it and that's a factor here and in terms of what kind of move we're talking about or what he can do you know there's a I had mentioned the Christian Christian Wood post-ups. I think in one Dallas game, he had one bucket and I think he drew a foul on the other. So it was actually, he got good stuff out of it. Um, there's times where Mitchell really run down the court. He'll have a mismatch on him and then he'll, he'll do a good job of sealing the mismatch and maybe get a, a pass that way. Um, you, you, that, that album, you know, I have no issue seeing that. And if the teammates can find him, you know, he's at least probably going to get fouled. And that sort of like ties into, you know, what kind of foul shooter he's going to be this year. But, you know, I, I don't know if he has the the requisite touch or finesse to really have a go to move. And, I, and I'm having trouble sort of like theorizing what that would even look like. Um, 
to be honest. Like, I don't think he's got, you know, he has the strength and the girth to be a, you know, to get in position and throw up a good righty jump hook, but I just don't think his touch is anywhere near where it would need to be. Um, and, you know, at this stage, that's something that he's just not gaining um, to the point where it's going to be a weapon for him. So maybe it is like a simple drop step where he is just overpowering a defender and getting to the basket and maybe drawing a foul. You know, he's usually been pretty good at drawing fouls, um, on, you know, close to the basket. So that is certainly something they can, they can do. And it's, you know, if it's going to make him happy and he's going to continue working hard and sprinting down the court to draw that defense in when they're on offense, you know, maybe you do it just because, you know, it's, it's worth it for him to stay engaged. Um, but I don't think that we're going to see Mitch uh, this year have a go-to move where we're going to be like, all right, let's dump him in the ball in and, and get a good shot here. I just don't, I don't see that as much as I love Mitch. Like I'm not really banking on that. No, no, no dream shakes then. Not, not yet. I mean, I don't know. Has he done the Elijah one uh, camp yeah, yet? No, he, he, I don't know if he uh, can afford uh, it. That, that, that yeah, you need Giannis good. money to be able to that's do good. That's good. Carmelo, Stoudemire, Giannis. Yeah. I mean, he's that's a different tier of contract. That's that's booking those, uh, those sessions. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe Josh Hart can cover him. All right, um, let, let, uh, let's talk about something a little bit more practical. Um, mm-hmm. Defensively, and I, I know you wanted to talk about this, um, and and feel free to work it in, like in concert with Quinn Grimes, because obviously those two are the cornerstones by by far of this Knicks defense, and and took a unit in the playoffs that again was playing two bad defenders a lot of time in Brunson and um, RJ, and and one by the time his ankle was decimated, like could probably fall in that category too. And Julius Randle and helping them be the best defense in the playoffs. And of course, like Emmanuel quickly and Josh Hart and, and mm-hmm. most pretty much the entire bench when they were on the floor, they contributed that too. But at the end of the day, it's about Mitch and it's about Quentin Grimes. So he, he made this trade off as we noted um, two years ago, a um, little bit less speed, a little bit more girth. Um, we, we both seem like we're kind of in agreement that that was the right move, especially last season. It seemed like he, he really struck the right balance in the first year. He was just constantly getting hurt because he was way yep. out of whack. Um, I, the thing that still haunts me a little bit about that, and maybe maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill just because of the scheme that the Knicks play under Tibbs, but he he, I, I just saw this guy who could be this infinitely switchy big, like, and and I referenced eighty jokingly on offense. It's still a little bit of a joke defensively, just because eighty is like historically good top five all time mm-hmm. conversation in that capacity, but. That's sort of how I envision like the upper, upper echelon of what Mitch could be early in his career. Um, some of the blocks he had got me through the dark Fisdale days. And, and I, I don't know if I'd still be doing this podcast if it wasn't for Mitchell Robinson. It would have been really bleak otherwise. So I still envision some of that. And, and I guess I, I'm curious if you think any of that is still in there. Maybe it doesn't matter that much in the regular season, but I almost wonder as a curveball in the playoffs or, or at a matchup in the playoffs where you just need to go to a little bit more of that. I don't think Tibbs is going to ever tear up what he did does. Like it's not like the defense was a big issue last year, but I also think even when he's playing drop, like it, it can come in handy as we saw against the Cavs, where we had all these moments where it, whether it was Garland and Mobley or Garland and, and Allen, he was able to guard two guys at once and, and almost mm-hmm. like teleport from like, contesting a shot in floater range to breaking up a lob. And I just remember maybe even a little bit more of that early in his career. And like, whatever this, like, again, I'm, I'm referencing the pool workouts. Like if there's any jump in athleticism, I'm curious to see how it comes into play there. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the calf series and, and, you know, obviously it was like 95% drop, but they did vary the sort of depth he was getting on those uh, drops where if you're, you're against those guards, uh, Mitchell and, and Garland, you just can't be in a deep drop. And, 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 you know, as good as Quentin Grimes is uh, as the primary getting over screens and Josh Hart's very good at it. It just, it's impossible. So there were times where Mitch was out pretty high and he was, you know, athletic enough to be able to get out and um, contest some of those shots, get a couple blocks, 
on some three point attempts, which something was he was famous for his rookie uh, rookie year. I think he led the NBA in block shots uh, off three pointers his rookie year, and so that skill is still there. And he's a left hand shot blocker, which obviously comes in handy against right hand shooters. But yeah, you know, I was always a little bit lower on Mitch as you know as an athlete in terms of his agility side to side. You know, he was obviously an amazing run and jump athlete. Um, but I always I kind of put those in two camps where like you look at a guy like Horford who is not you, you know even look at Horford now I wouldn't consider him a great athlete in any respect but I think he's agile enough to where you can put him on multiple guys and he can move his feet and he can go side to side pretty well even at his advanced age. Um, Mitch really does, never really had that maybe his rookie his couple his first couple of years he had a little bit but he just his his sort of hunched over nature he was obviously seven seven plus feet it's a little bit more challenging. So I think the way that he sort of bought into the Thibodeau style of defense and that drop coverage. And to me, he's as good as it gets the NBA beyond, you know, maybe a handful of guys that might be um, better than him. To me, he he makes that defense go. So if you're giving up a little bit on that um, sort of switchability and be able to guard in an ISO situation against a dynamic ball handler, you know, I don't know if he was ever going to be a guy that I would feel comfortable in that area. But yeah, if he does get a little boost athletically from those pool workouts, I mean, all the power to him because it's only going to add things uh, to his game. But, you know, as a drop defender, he's just his ability to be uh, to guard, as you mentioned, two guys um, at the, the, you know, not only the roller, but the the ball handler is just a really impressive skill that was on uh, full display in that cap series. So, I mean, that's if he could be that sort of defender going forward, then the Knicks have uh, potential like defensive player of the year, if he can sort of extend that out for a full season. I, I want to go backwards a little bit before we go forward, because you kind of got sure. my gears turning. Uh, well, I guess I got my own gears turning re- referencing the Cavs series um, because mm-hmm. that was, that was the best we've ever seen Mitchell Robinson, right? It's, it's yeah. not, it's not even close given. And, and it was, and I mean, you could say this for almost everyone on the roster, but there was something so satisfying about watching this guy who again, toiled in the muck of those aforementioned Fizdale years. And now is, mm-hmm. is, is by far the longest tenured Nick, like one of the weirdly, like probably in the top, like 30 or 40 longest tenured guys on one team in the entire NBA went through hell and back. And then to, to see him in the playoffs and, and, and there was almost, and, and obviously he missed the Hawks series two years ago. And there was almost this feeling of like, all right, is this going to be too much for him? Like, are we going to see him revert back to, to foul happy Mitch and, and get out of these games. And instead going up against all-star Jared Allen, right next great mm-hmm. defender and, and and maybe player in this league in Evan Mobley. And, and for him to get the better of both of them, average over the course of that series, eight points, 10 rebounds, 1.2 steals, 2.2 blocks, shoot 67% from the field, um, 13 points, 18 rebounds, three blocks, and in what was by not a small margin given the stakes, the best game of his career to close out that series. Yeah. Um, it was it was incredible. And then we saw him like essentially like he it felt like replacement level center play against Miami. Five points. Nine mm-hmm. boards, 0.2 steals. So that went down dramatically. The blocks went down from 2.2 to one. And instead of shooting 67%, he shot 55%, of course. Um, had that one game. I can't remember if it was against the Cavs or Miami where he made the late free throws. That was that was really cool. Um, I think it was game five against Miami. Yeah, game but, five against Miami, yeah. Um, he didn't seem, I've referenced this a few times, and maybe, maybe it's me making excuses for him. He didn't seem 100% healthy against the Heat. I didn't think he was moving quite the same way. I think whatever bumps and bruises he picked up against the Cavs, um, kind of just maybe pushed him down a, a, a just to like a couple notches less in terms of that athletic ability. And that, that was enough for Miami to take advantage of. Part of it was just going up against Bam, who's, who's a more seasoned and just better player at this point than either of the two Cavs bigs. But what, what was your read yep. on how he struggled on both ends in that Miami series? And do you think it portends anything for the future about 
how he'll do in, in big time playoff series. Yeah, just off the bat, I think you're you're definitely right about the injury thing. It wasn't, um, I believe there was a right hip reported um, injury. I, th- I think after game one, he took the, he was asked basically, you know, because he really struggled game one against Miami. How you feeling? You banged up, and he just responded very quote unquote. Um, that was it. So clearly, he wasn't the same in terms of health, but there was probably more to it than than that. Um, in the Cavs series, it was pretty simple in terms of what they were going to do. Those bigs were going to do. If he was guarding the Jared Allen um, uh, uh, pick and roll, um, you knew you sort of knew where uh, things were going to be. And if it was Mobley, you're going to deal with that short roll and you're coming over to help. And you know where, where Mobley is going to want to make a play out of that. It's either a floater or he's going to try to make that pass. And when he was trying to hit that floater, then you know Mitch was right there to either block it or contest it. So sort of where he was designed to be against the Cavs, it was pretty simple. And then you go to the Miami series and not only are you dealing with the band, but you have Kevin Love boxing you out as well, who is a much stronger better uh, defensive rebounder getting under you. And then it's just like the fact that Bam is not your traditional stretch five, but you know, the fact that you can hit a mid range shot. If Mitch is helping, he's got a long way to go to sort of get back and get over to Bam. And then if he's closing out, Bam can make one dribble and make a pass or get all the way to the basket. So he just presented more variables that at least in that series, whether it was physical um, or mentally, he just wasn't equipped to handle it. And it is one of those things where, he may always just kind of struggle against centers that could do a little more with the ball or um, stretch the floor. Like we always, we know that Brooke Lopez always has given him trouble. So that is the sort of next hurdle for him in terms of the sort of uh, um, offensive threat that he has to deal with that he really hasn't mastered yet. And he may never do it. And that's going to be the thing that maybe holds him back from being, you know, a truly top 10 center in the NBA. But, you know, if against the Cavs, he was, you know, that game five was one of the best all around center games by Nick since since Ewing um, uh, in terms of uh, production and dominance on both ends. It was an incredible game. So I think the Miami series, uh, they obviously mapped the game plan for him. Um, multiple guys trying to keep him off the offensive glass. And then the BAM um, ability on the offensive end to do more things just created enough problems where if there was an injury or two, it was just sort of too much for him to contend with in that uh, series. So that is something where, you know, when they play Miami or they play Milwaukee, you're going to want to see, keep an eye on Mitch to see how he's handling, you know, a defense where you can't necessarily play that traditional drop and not have to worry about the the stretch five, which, you know, obviously a good thing not a lot of teams can do, but the teams that can are usually really good. That's going to yeah. be Boston. That's going to be Milwaukee. And it's going to be um, Miami to, you know, to a certain extent. Um, but that's something Mitch has to deal with and he's got to figure it out. Um, I'm going to watch and see if he can, uh, he could do it because that's sort of the last hurdle for him in terms of his sort of defensive, um, versatility. And, and, and I wonder if, again, that athleticism training, as much as it was again, for how high can you jump to catch a lob? It was, it was specifically to address Good that. Point. And that was something that this Nick staff yeah. said, Hey, we, we need you. You can't and like, not that he's played off the floor, but you, we, we can't lose your impact on either end because defensively it holds everything together and yeah. offensively we, we saw it against Cleveland that is like his physicality is what won them the series and I, I think it's it's very reasonable to make the argument he was their best player against the Cavs mm-hmm. it sounds crazy on a team with Jalen Brunson and, and how and look they don't win that series without Jalen Brunson but I, I don't know if they win that series without Mitchell Robinson and, and there are trade-offs with Isaiah Hartenstein where, where that becomes less of an issue you have more flexibility on offense in terms of his passing but mm-hmm. I I just don't I think to your point, like you are not the same team you were in the regular season when, when Mitchell Robinson is off the floor, because that, that ISO heavy style 
loses quite a bit of value when you don't have the, the best offensive rebound in basketball or, or if he's on the floor, he's not playing like the best offensive rebounder in basketball. All right. So we've, we, we've kind of, we've looked to the past. Let's finish up looking to the future. W- what do you think? I mean, you, you could let me know in terms of this season, what you're mm-hmm. looking for out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but more so down the road, because I, I almost wonder for the Knicks to win a championship and, and almost regardless of, of who they get, obviously you get a Giannis, you get an Embiid, you, you, you kind of mold it to their games, no matter what, but I don't expect the style of play to be exactly what it is now. And that's sort of the catch 22 with Mitch, right? You, you, you get all the strengths, but you have to mm-hmm. adjust your entire team around his weaknesses. And, and maybe, <clears throat> yeah. maybe it looks different with no RJ Barrett in there and, and like a really good shooter at the three instead. And if you have like actually four out, like four respected shooters out around Mitch, maybe their current style works even better and is even more effective. And teams don't have that ability, as you noted, to have two or three guys around him when he's battling for a rebound. That That's fascinating to me. But I, I almost wonder if for the Knicks to establish a championship ceiling, even if that star that they get isn't at center, they have to have someone other than Mitchell Robinson at that spot. But but how do you how do you feel about that? And how long do you think he is for the Knicks? It's a good question. Um, obviously, the guy in in Philly, the big fella, is the the target right now. And if he's here, Mitch is not going to be here likely. Um, you know, I, it's it's a good question because you wonder like, has did they does he have the sort of contract where if you're like, all right, Mitch, you're going to be a 15 to 20 minute a game guy on a great team. And maybe you start for us, but we have a different dichotomy in terms of our roster construction where we can go small at the five and, you know, maybe Julius isn't here, or maybe there's a, a different iteration of this team where you need Mitch to start the game, to play some minutes in the third quarter, but he's not your closer. Um, that's sort of a, a scenario that I don't think would be a negative considering the, the contract to me, I think is completely in line with the um, rising cap every year um, to be able to do something like that. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be a guy on a championship team. That's a 30 plus minute, a game center. So I think you're going to probably look at him a little bit lower than that. Um, to me though, the free throw thing, and I know his trainer mentioned, you know, that's been an improvement. You know, he did shoot 60% his his rookie year, which is not great. But if I think any Nick fan would sign up today, if he if we said Mitch is going to shoot 60% this year after shooting 48% the last two seasons, um, in terms of his mechanics, you know, his shot is much lower, his set point uh, than in uh, his first couple of seasons. So they've definitely lowered his set point that has not brought good results. So that typically is going to remove uh, variability in terms of like um, movement in, in your shooting uh, motion. But if he was a naturally a high set point shooter and you've changed that and it hasn't really brought any sort of like advantage in, in terms of his uh, ability to make shots. And I wonder if that's something that they've um, changed a little bit. You know, I haven't seen enough video this off season to really judge that, but it is noteworthy that he had different form his rookie year and he was shot 12% better. So that's something that I'm not going to lose sight of, you know, it, just because you have a high set point is not, it's not a negative necessarily. And if you bring it down to sort of increase your free throw percentage and it doesn't bear uh positivity, then then maybe you go back to something that did work a little better. But you know, I, I don't, if the Knicks are a championship team, I think the odds are he's probably in a trade to bring in a, another star, another uh, big, whoever that might be. Um, but if he's on the roster, then I think you can have a scenario where he is a, you know, he starts a game and, or, um, but doesn't close it because you have a different um, setup and you can play a more 
you know, modern style of offense. Yeah, where if you they have get five, Giannis, five right? Nine. That would that would be when I think about like, right. All right, start Giannis at power forward, finish with Giannis at center. Again. Exactly. So, so those maybe are some of the, at this point, but just an example. It, just an example, right? And you know, who knows who if there's another guy we're not uh, thinking of at the moment, but. Yeah, maybe if you have a different guy, the three, um, you can get away with his non-shooting. Um, you know, it, it speaks of the need for RJ to be a competent shooter. I know this is not the RJ podcast, but he needs to shoot at least league average to be able to make this whole thing uh, work ultimately. But yeah, I think I think there is uh, something that you know there is a future for Mitch here. I think he is he's got a great contract. I think there is, as I mentioned in the early part, there's some things that he can clean up to improve his. Um, impact on the offensive end. Um, defensively, I think he's sort of, you know, maybe there's some more to, to grow there, but I think he's, if he just kind of plateaus there, he's a really good defender. If he can improve his offense, the Knicks have a borderline top 10 center and they're paying him uh, uh, really well in terms of like, in terms of like where the contract is amongst all their centers. It's a good contract. So I think they're in a good spot there um, and we'll see where he is uh, going forward. But, you know, he's done a great job getting to where he is now. And I think there's still some things he can, he can improve upon. He's proven that he can add to his game and he can change his body and become a different sort of um, player. And we'll see if that's something he can continue to, to put out there because, you know, at 26, there's still some room to, to grow a little bit. I, I, lo- I love the guy. I'm looking forward to seeing him, seeing him torch Christian Wood a couple of times this year. Um, but until that point, uh, mm-hmm. DJ Zulo, thank you for uh, coming on the pod and uh, just, uh, where, where else can people find uh, all your work? Yeah, it's just uh, DJ Ace NBA on Twitter. I'm going to start putting out my uh, uh, YouTube uh, videos uh, as the season kicks off. So you can find those at the Craft NBA in the YouTube search bar. Uh, Nick's Film School work. I'll be doing stuff with them. I'd uh, love to join uh, you as, as the season moves along. So you, you'll find me on uh, Locked on Knicks, the, one of the best uh, Knicks uh, content uh, uh, shows there there is out there. Love listening to you guys. So I uh, can't wait for the season to get going and uh, to be able to do some of this with uh, some games to sort of break down. Yeah, well, thanks, DJ. I'll, I'll return the compliment. I, I think it's obvious to anyone listening, one of the hardest working and and, and most thoughtful people who uh, cover this team. So uh, Thank do you. yourself a favor, check out everything DJ does on Nick's Film School and at the Craft NBA. But until then, uh, we will talk to you very soon. We have more of these player previews coming up on Locked on Knicks.